Amen. So go ahead and grab your Bibles, make your way to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 15 this morning, beginning in verse 1. This morning we're looking at a familiar passage, it's known as a parable. It's called the parable of the lost sheep, and we're also going to be focusing a little bit on the parable that follows after this, known as the parable of the lost coin. In Luke's gospel, particularly in this chapter, chapter 15, he has this triad or trilogy of parables, capturing the joy that God has in finding the lost. The triad is completed with a much longer parable known as the parable of the prodigal son, which we'll spend some time on on another day. As you make your way to the Gospel of Luke chapter 15, just want to give you a a quick confession. Uh, Well, let me ask this first. Anybody here love cats? All right, here's my confession. I hate cats. (laughs) I am not a cat person whatsoever. I, I honestly believe that cats are sporadically possessed by demons at times. And you've probably seen the videos. I know I've experienced it firsthand when I'm sitting there and petting a cat, which rarely happens, by the way. And it gives that sweet little, that little purr sound. And then all of a sudden, the demon gets a hold of it. It makes that deep, not even meow sound. And then it takes a swipe at you or tries to bite you. And you just know, okay, something has changed about this animal. Um, sometimes when, as a family, we'll go into Springfield on a Saturday and we'll go to a particular pet store that brings in adopted or animals you can adopt from a shelter. And we always go to the dogs first. Of course, they're in the front. They're the most cutest thing they have. But before we leave, our daughter, Abby, always asks, can we go back and see the kittens? And they typically have two or three kittens back there. And she'll go back and she'll start petting them and she'll start making her cute little girl sounds. Ooh, so cute. And I immediately have to interrupt this situation and say it's never going to happen. It is never going to happen. Matter of fact, if you ever get a cat when you get older, I will tell you right now, you can never expect me to take care of it if you go anywhere. I cannot stand cats for some reason. Matter of fact, it's a running joke in our family when we're driving in the car and you happen to see a cat in the road. I speed up. I honestly speed up, and and I hear the scream from my daughter in the back saying, that's not funny, that's a living thing, and I tell her it almost wasn't. But I think uh, my issue with cats goes back to my childhood, and Jamie and I have only had one cat our entire life in our marriage, and it was a farm cat, which I was fine with that, because it stayed outside, I'd throw food at it, it would kill rodents and snakes and things like that, but my issue with cats besides the sporadic demonic possession uh, stems from my childhood. Uh, One day, my mom decided to bring home a little black kitten. And I didn't know what to do with it, but she says, here, this is your pet. You're going to take care of this kitten. What are you going to name it? I named it Casey. It stood for kitty cat. It was real original. I get it. But I wasn't sure about the cat, and eventually I started to become attached to the cat and actually enjoyed the cat. Um, And then one day, it just up and went away. And so I remember getting on my bike and riding around the neighborhood, riding down the streets, yelling out, Casey, Casey, hoping that this black cat would come running back to me and I'd take it home. But I I never found it. And so my heart was broken at a very young age by a cat. Um, And that may have started it all. Our, Our parable isn't about a cat that wandered off. But our parable is about a wandering sheep. 
It's told in the Gospel of Luke. It's also found in the Gospel of Matthew. And what's interesting about Matthew and Luke's account is the context when Jesus told this parable, because they're different. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has just dealt with his disciples' dispute about who is the greatest among them. And then he moves into a teaching about temptations as he sets a small child in their midst saying, if you want to be great for the kingdom, you must become humble like a child. Again, he then deals with temptations and about not being an individual who will lead others into temptations, and that leads into the telling of this particular parable within the Gospel of Matthew. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, the context is different. Verse 1, we're told that Jesus is in the midst of tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees and scribes come to him and begin to complain. And so before we actually read the parable, we got to understand that it's not a contradiction among the Gospels. It's widely believed that since Jesus traveled around the region teaching and preaching and delivering parables and doing miracles, that he taught parables or lessons in numerous places because he would be with different audiences. As he would go to a different city or different region, he would have a different audience. And so he would deliver similar messages that he's done in the past during his ministry. We kind of think of it like a traveling evangelist. For some of our students who went to camp uh, the last couple years, um, there was the same camp pastor, not this year, but two years prior to that. And as Ethan came home, he told me that the pastor delivered the same illustration he did the year before about a roller coaster. I don't think it's because the pastor didn't have any new material, but rather he knew he had a new audience. There were going to be different people within the audience, and that particular illustration or story helped capture the point that he was wanting to make to the crowd. In Jesus' ministry, his crowd changed frequently as he tried to take the message of the kingdom of God throughout the region and to the Jewish people. Now, we're going to use Matthew's account a little bit, but our main focus, like I said, is going to come from here in the Gospel of Luke. So let's read it, and we'll work our way through it. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 15, and the word of the Lord says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Verse 8, or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you. There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. As I said, our main focus is going to be on the parable of the lost sheep this morning, but let's deal with the parable of the lost coin. Both parables contain the element of rejoicing after recovering or finding that which was lost. And so the parable of the lost coin, it deals with a woman 
who lost one of her ten coins. The coin there, the word is actually drachma. A drachma was a day's wage. And because the woman is searching by herself in the nighttime, the implication is that she is a widow and that she is all alone. She has no, no family. And so these coins are all that she has left to live on. They're extremely important. So when she finds the one that she's been searching for diligently, which means carefully and thoroughly, she calls her friends and neighbors to come and celebrate her. And then Jesus summarizes this parable, much like he does with the parable of the lost sheep, there in verse 10, that there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so coming back to our main focus this morning, dealing with the lost sheep, Matthew's account begins by saying that uh, Jesus stating, See that you do not despise one of the little ones. Again, the setting in Matthew is there is a small child amongst Jesus and the disciples, and Jesus is setting him there so they can understand what it in fact means to be great. Jesus, our children in this particular society were overlooked. They were taken care of by the family. They would help around the house, but until they got to a certain age or a certain size, they really offered no provision for the family. And so this is how Matthew's account attaches Jesus using this parable once again here in the Gospel of Luke with a completely different type of crowd. In Luke, Jesus uses the parable, and like I said in verse 1, we're told that he is in the company of tax collectors and sinners. Now, Jesus did not host this party because Jesus did not own a home, but he's obviously the center of attention before he speaks on this parable. The tax collectors, they would be Jewish men who were hired by the Roman Empire to impose the Roman tax, much like the disciple Matthew used to do until Jesus called him. They were considered traitors to the Jewish community. The title sinners, even though all people are sinners, is pointing to individuals who had a known reputation for doing wickedness and evil. They had been known thieves and prostitutes and adulterers and idolaters, possibly some even murders and zealots. And so the scenario that we come into in chapter 15 is Jesus is sitting amongst outcasts and those individuals who are overlooked within their own society. So this causes the Pharisees and scribes in verse 2 they were considered the religious elite of the Jewish culture. And they come to Jesus to complain about the company that Jesus is keeping. The language they use receives sinners and eats with them. It means that as they are witnessing this encounter, they're seeing Jesus, the Son of the living God, have this deep fellowship with these people that have been cast out of society. Now, this was forbidden by the Pharisees' teachings. One of their teachings, which is not found in the Bible, but from their own books, was let not a man associate with the wicked, not even to bring him to the law. They also had a prayer, which they would pray about concerning these individuals. They would pray, I thank you, Lord my God, that you have set my portion with those who sit in the sanctuary and not with those who sit on street corners. I rise early and they rise early. I rise to attend the word of Torah, and they attend to futile things. I exert myself, and they exert themselves. I exert myself and receive a reward, and they exert themselves and receive no reward. I run, and they run, but I run to life and the world to come, and they run to the pit of destruction. 
What a lovely prayer by religious leaders. The group in verse 1 is directly opposite of the group we see in verse 2. Not just because of their background, but the people in verse 1, the tax collectors and sinners, they were drawing near to Jesus, did you catch it? To hear him. Whereas the group in verse 2 were coming to Jesus to complain that he was showing love to people that they deemed unlovable and people they deemed unworthy. But we learn two things about God's love from these two groups. To experience God's love, we need to listen. The word hear in the Greek means to listen in such a way that you are learning. It's not like when we're driving down the road and we're listening to music through the radio or podcast or whatever tool you use. The word hear means listening for growth and transformation. Now, we don't know exactly what Jesus was talking about as they were listening to him, but since the theme of his ministry was to call people to repent and return to God and return to the kingdom of God, we can assume that's something that he is dealing with in this moment, something the Pharisees were heavily opposed to because they honestly believe these group of, this group of people didn't deserve that chance. They didn't deserve God's love. They didn't deserve the opportunity to repent. They didn't deserve the invitation to be a part of the kingdom. And so whatever the tax collectors and sinners are listening to and taking in, it makes us ask a question about ourselves. Which of these two groups are we? Are we listeners or are we complainers? Are we listening to what God is saying through his word or are we complaining about whatever might be going wrong or what might not be going the way we think it should? It's hard to listen when all you do is complain. When we sit down with our Bibles or we listen to a podcast, are we taking what is being spoken into our hearts? That's why when I sit down with my personal Bible study, not to preach a sermon, but just to be in the presence of God, I have my Bible, I have a notebook, and I have a pen. Because I want to be transformed. I don't want to just read the words, but I want to listen to them and hear the voice of God speaking to my heart. And I recommend everyone do this. And here's the thing. I know some teachers don't want to hear it, but their school supplies out, and they're really cheap. So you can find a lot of pens and a lot of notebooks that are very low cost, and you already have access to the Word of God to sit with Him and listen. Because of the Pharisees' response to who Jesus was having fellowship with, this then leads into the parable. And the parable is quite simple to understand. For Jesus' audience, it would have been something very familiar with the idea of a shepherd losing a sheep and needing to go find it. Just as an overview, the shepherd goes out to count his sheep. He knows he has a hundred of them. But as he finished counts, counting, he realizes there's only 99 there, which causes him to go search for the lost sheep. And that might seem like bad management to go looking for a minority and leaving the majority, but it was a common practice for shepherds in this day. So Jesus' audience would have fully understood, okay, that makes sense. Now, what we don't know, because Jesus doesn't tell us, we don't know whether or not the shepherd actually owned the sheep or he was taking care of the sheep for someone else. 
Either way, he had lost something that was either for his livelihood or he lost something that belonged to someone else which he would be held responsible for. And so you might have heard this before, but sheep are not the brightest animals. They are prone to wander from the flock. They're prone to wander from protection and be put in harms by predators. Now the word lost, which is used numerous times within this parable and in the next one, it carries a lot more meaning in the Greek, which is what the New Testament is written in, than when we say, like, I lost my keys, or I lost my wallet, or I lost my phone, or I can't find my shoes. The word lost in the Greek means to be ruined. It means to be desolated and destroyed. And so when Jesus says this sheep is lost, he's saying the sheep was ruined, desolated, and destroyed because it was not where it was supposed to be. And it reminds us something of God's love. To experience God's love, we must not wonder. Now, frequently in the Bible, when you read through it, you're going to see that we are referred to as sheep, which isn't really one of the greatest compliments to be given, but it is to point out that all of us know how how long we've been in a relationship with God, no matter how faithful we are, all of us are prone to wander and to put ourselves in dangerous places, places that we, where we should not be, or to do things that we should not be doing. And so this actually ties it back to Matthew's recording. As he leads into this parable, he leads into it by first speaking about temptations, And so we aren't told why the sheep wandered off, but something tempted it to move away from the flock, to move away from safety and protection and into a place where it was put in danger. With that in mind, God's people have to be aware that the enemy tries to get us to wander away from the flock that make up the church. And for us, like sheep, we have to realize When we gather together in the name of Jesus, there's safety and there's protection here. But when we wander off, we put ourselves in danger. It's the saying that there's power in numbers. And I know things come up. I know sometimes we go on vacation or we get sick. There's some things that we just have to do, but we cannot make it a habit to wander away from the flock, to not gather with God's people. You know, back in the wonderful year of COVID, when I had a lockdown, that was the huge fear for almost every pastor I talked to. Since we couldn't gather together, there was a fear. And I know God has not given us a spirit of fear, but there was a fear that God's people would develop the habit of no longer gathering together because we couldn't. And I know several churches that still have not recovered from the lockdown that happened three years ago. And I know several believers who still have not returned back to church because they got into the habit and they wander. Like the sheep, they're just out there wandering. And what they need is they need other believers to become like this shepherd to go out and get them. Coming back to the parable of the shepherd, he goes looking and he looks until he finds the sheep. And then he brings it back to the rest of the flock. And so to experience God's love, we have to be found, or we must be found. 
There are a couple things that Jesus' audience would understand concerning this parable or this illustration that we may look over. The understanding of why did the shepherd have to carry the sheep on his shoulders instead of shepherding back to the flock. And Jesus doesn't tell us which of one of two scenarios it is, so both of them could apply. The first reason would be is that as the shepherd found the sheep, he found that the sheep was injured. And therefore, the sheep could not walk back to the flock on its own. It would not have the strength to make the journey home, which this is what happens when we wander away from God. We injure our hearts, we injure our souls, and sometimes we injure people in our lives. The second scenario is a common practice for shepherds in dealing with wandering sheep. In this scenario, the shepherd found the sheep, and the sheep had the strength to walk back, but because of its stubbornness and was prone to wander away, the shepherd would take his staff and his rod, and he would break one of the sheep's legs. And that might sound like animal cruelty, but that was the common practice in this day because what would happen is the shepherd would have to carry the sheep back to the flock where it would be safe, and the sheep could not wander because it had a broken leg. And so what it would do is it would remain by the shepherd's side the entire time while it healed, getting to know it since it, the shepherd's scent and understanding that the shepherd was there to protect it and provide for it. So in this situation, the sheep would become completely reliant upon the shepherd. He would bring its food and its water. And sometimes when we wander into temptation, we have to be found, and the way we get found is through the Lord's discipline. This is what David was alluding to in Psalm 23 in verse 4. He said, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall not fear, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And the staff of a shepherd would be used to rescue a sheep, maybe if it fell into a hole or into a ditch. The rod was used to discipline. In the book of Hebrews in chapter 12, it says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It then goes on to say that God disciplines us because he views us as his children, He claims us and owns us and he loves us. And so he trains us through discipline not to wander, but instead to become completely reliant upon him just as the sheep would be upon the shepherd. The word chastise, that's Hebrews 12, 6, that verse I just read. The word chastise where it says, he chastises every son who receives him. It means to punish And sometimes the punishment is when our sinful wanderings are brought into the light. There's been numerous times in my marriage that I have wandered, said something stupid, done something stupid, and God brought it into the light. A lot of times he did it through my wife, who's my helper. And as he (laughs) brought it into the light, I realized how much I hurt her, how much pain I had caused her. And in realizing that, it then made me realize how much pain and hurt I'd caused God 
both of whom I'm called to love and to serve. Sometimes the punishment, the rod, the discipline comes through conviction because we're listening to God speak to our hearts and we know there's things that are not matching what he says that we should be. It's in those painful experiences we can be found and we can return to where we need to be. The conclusion of this parable along with the lost coin comes out of verse 7. And Jesus says almost something identical in verse 7 and 10. He says, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So to experience God's love, we must repent. That's the key word in verse 7 and in verse 10. What does repent mean? The word repent means to change one's way of thinking so as to change one's actions. If we were to go back a couple chapters in, in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 13, Jesus makes this statement in verse 3 and 5. He says, unless you repent, you all likewise will perish. It's such an important statement within that particular teaching. Jesus says it twice. In order to repent, we have to trust Jesus is the good shepherd, and what he says is for our good. This ties back to disciples' argument about who's the greatest, and Jesus points to the humility of a child. A.W. Tozer wrote, it is very hard to get people repent because that means humility. It's not a person in this room that has not backslidden or wandered at some point in time in their life. We are all like sheep who tend to wander to places we shouldn't be. Well, the parable points out is the means to which the Lord brings us back. Notice in the parable, particularly with the lost sheep, you can look at the coin as well. The sheep did nothing to be found. It was the shepherd who represents Jesus, the good shepherd, and God, who is our shepherd, who went out to find the sheep. And then when he finds the sheep, there may or may not have been a disciplinary action, but the shepherd rejoices as he returns. It's a beautiful image of God's love that the shepherd did not give up on the wandering sheep, which is the image that God will not give up on his children either. One commentator writes, Repentance is not the cause of God's love, but the result of God's love. Also notice in verse 6, the shepherd didn't rejoice by himself. He didn't just rejoice with the other sheep. Instead, he called his friends and his neighbors to join in the rejoicing, the same thing that the woman did when she found the coin. This image is God's people. We should share in the joy we should share in the rejoicing, especially when someone come back, comes back to the Lord. Now, I've experienced believers mess up as I, the time I've been in ministry. And one thing I've noticed that tends to happen is they get this sense of shame that they can't go back to church. As God's people, we have to go to them. We have to go to them and let them understand, hey, you know, what you did, it was wrong. It was against God's word and against his will. But at the same time, we have to say, but I am so glad if you would come back. 
come back to the flock. And so we help restore them into the church because we deliver the ministry of reconciliation. Now, the final point comes from Matthew's conclusion of this parable. It's Matthew 18, verse 14. And it writes that Jesus says, So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And to the point for this is to reveal God's love is to seek out the lost. Both the parable of the sheep capture this truth. Jesus frequently in his ministry hung out with people like we find in verse 1. You know, he did that because he came to seek the lost. He rarely hung out the people in verse 2 because they always sought after him. And they grumbled and they complained and they desired to test him. They felt that their righteousness was all they needed and they didn't need the full righteousness of Christ. But this is our calling as God's people. Even though we are sheep and we may not get it right all the time in our relationship with God, we are commanded and empowered to seek out the lost. Those who feel that they can't dare cross the threshold of the doors at church. Those who feel that they are cut off from the love of God and the forgiveness of God because of something they've done in their past and they just can't feel that can be forgiven is too huge. Even those people who feel they don't need God. The Bible says as God's people, we are ambassadors for Christ. Meaning we are now to go to the very people that Jesus went to so they can experience the love of God. And we do this by sharing the gospel. And perhaps there's someone here this morning who needs to hear about God's love through the gospel. The word means good news. Truth is, is that God created you for a relationship with him. And it's your sin that separates you from that relationship. And you can't fix your sin problem. You can't put a Band-Aid on it or duct tape on it. You can't do enough good things. But God knows that. So God sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to live a perfect life, a life without sin. He died on a cross. They placed Him in a tomb. But He rose three days later to show that He has the power over death and the authority to forgive sins. And you may be here this morning and you're realizing that's exactly what I need. I need the forgiveness for my sins found only in Jesus Christ by faith alone in Christ and His work. And the Bible says when you believe that in your heart and you confess it with your mouth, you will be saved. You'll be found just like the sheep. And if you're here this morning and you know that's something you need to do, I'm going to be standing down here. You just have to come down the aisle. Meaning you sit in the front row, you can come directly to me and just say, Pastor Mike, I need to be forgiven. I need to be saved. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you that you came seeking us. Your word says that no one seeks after you. No one does good. No one does righteous. And so you came seeking after us. We thank you for that incredible love and that incredible promise. Father, forgive us those times where we have wandered as well. We have done something or said something that we shouldn't have. And I ask you to be in this time and your spirit just come upon us all in that, Father, if there's someone here this morning that has yet to accept you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, your spirit would speak to their heart in a way only it can, and today would be the day of their salvation.
Continue to be glorified in this time. And praise on the name of Jesus. Amen.